Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with future Hall of Fame manager Bruce Bochy. Hi, everybody, and a very pleasant good evening to you. The man we honor tonight, Bruce Bochy. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast, and today uh, we've got one of the one of my favorite guys I ever played for. I think he's a lot of guys' favorite, uh, and and I don't even hesitate to say that I don't want to be the jinx, but future Hall of Famer Bruce Bochy. Boach, thanks for coming on the show. Booney, I thank you for uh, talking with me. It's good to visit with you. It's been a while, and uh, you know I was fortunate to have you. Uh, on my team one year, and I'm grateful for that. <laughs> I want to go all the way back to the beginning and talk about your childhood, because it was a little bit of a unique childhood. You were born in France. Your dad was in the military. Just t- tell the tell the audience what that was like and how your childhood childhood was. Yeah, um, my father was in the army. He was a sergeant major uh, in the army. That's where he finished that, and. Uh, so we traveled uh, quite a bit. I was born in France, but I don't remember anything about uh, those years uh, because I left there when I was three years old and uh, I went from there to South Carolina where he was stationed at Port Jackson. But as part of uh, being a uh, army brat or a uh, military brat is you, you know, every three years you're packing up and moving. And, uh, and from South Carolina, uh, we went to Panama and that's really where I started playing baseball because it was warm all year. And uh, uh, so, you know, my dad just loved the game, had a real passion for it. He coached uh, the Army team on base. So I would bat boy and uh, help him out. And uh, he would coach uh, myself and my older brother there in Panama. And from there, we moved up to Northern Virginia where I saw my first major league game. My dad was stationed at the Pentagon then. And, uh, he took me to watch uh, to see the Washington Senators back there. Back then, they they were the uh, Senators. And in uh, fact, um, I saw Ted Williams manage, and uh, I was a big Senators fan. And I'll never forget the first time I uh, I saw Major League Field. Man, that's when I was hooked, and uh, I knew I wanted to play baseball. And uh, uh, so, you know, it was uh, really a special time for me, and a great memory of my dad and I spending time together. But you know, the travel part when you're real young, Booney, it's not all that bad when you're, you know, you're eight, nine, ten years old, whatever. It gets tougher, though, when you get in that junior high, high school, and you're changing high schools. And that 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 was hard on, uh, I think, all of us. My sister, brother, and I, we were in high school, just going to high school in uh, Virginia, and we moved down to Florida where he retired a uh, little town, Melbourne, Florida. You've been there probably, uh spring training but uh in the east coast and that's and that's why i went to high school that's where he retired and uh went to a junior college there and that's uh uh where i signed out of yeah so you go to high school you're an eighth round pick you end up going to a jc and you sign out of there first round pick if i'm not mistaken and you sign with the astros yeah, and i like where you just say first round pick uh you didn't put the stipulation in there because you know, people think, wow, he he was a really uh, good player, talented player. But, you know, back in those days, they had what they called a secondary phase. 
And that secondary phase was for players who had been drafted previously. So a first-round pick in the secondary phase wasn't quite the same as a, as a regular phase because you didn't have that many uh, uh, guys available for that draft. And uh, I was drafted by the Houston Astros in the first round in the secondary phase. And, uh, and I had signed to go to South Alabama. Now, I don't know if you, you're probably too – now you – with your grandfather and your dad, you, you might remember the name Eddie Stanky. With, uh, I do. He was the head coach there at uh, South Alabama. And uh, I just wanted to play for uh, Eddie. And uh, But, you know, after they flew me up there, Booney, uh, they recruited me. And the first workout I saw him work, uh, they were working out. And the first drill they were working on, he had a machine cranked up there. It was uh, going about 90 miles an hour. And he was teaching them how to get hit by a pitch, you know, how to get on base. And he had to lean into it. And that's when I said, you know what? I, I think I'm ready for a professional ball. And uh, <laughs> I ended up signing with Houston. Yeah, and and you've been a part of some interesting plays through the year. And and when I was going over it before, before we did this podcast today, I was going over some of your past. And, and a lot of memories started to come up because, uh, you know, obviously my dad – my dad played for the Phillies in that that great '80s team, but to this right, day, right. it's one of my it's one of my fondest memories as a kid growing up, growing up in in Jersey, and and that postseason in 1980 when the Phillies ended up beating the Kansas City Royals. But that Astros Philly playoff that year is still, I think it's it's one of the all time greats. They still play it on on uh, MLB Channel, you know, iconic games. But uh, you were a part of that. And uh, tell me about that eighty World Series. I know what it was like for me, but but was it all that it's hyped up to be? I think it was. But then again, I'm a kid. Oh no, you're you're I mean, absolutely right. Uh, I was a young kid at the time. I think I was twenty three, twenty four, but. Uh, uh, I actually went in that season. Uh, uh, we went with three catchers. Uh, we had a guy, Ashby, who uh, ended up getting hurt. Uh, when when uh, we had to play an extra game against the Dodgers, we were tied for a division lead. And uh, he got hurt in a home plate collision. Uh, Joe Ferguson hit him. And we had another catcher, Louis Pujols. And I only got 22 at-bats that whole year. You know, probably one of my regrets that year was not asking them to send me down so I could play. But anyway, I ended up playing a, a, a critical part in that series because they both got hurt, and I got in there. And, uh, of course, I had the collision with Pete Rose, and uh, Lee Ely was trying to hold him up at third base. And uh, Raphael Lannistory threw me a ball in the dirt, and I tried to pick him. You know, back he had to stay in front of whole plate. And catcher was open game, and we had a collision. And uh, anyway, I never had the ball, never got control of it. And uh, so they end up uh, winning that game in extra innings. And uh, then the next game, we were up 5-2, the fifth game. Every game was uh, extra innings. It, it was incredible. But the fifth game, what, what was amazing was we had Nolan Ryan on the mound. We were up 5-2. to two. And Nolan's record with the lead in the eighth inning was incredible. It was like 98-2, something like that. And uh, – Anyway, Rose ended up getting a walk, and a long story short, a lot of base hits, and uh, um, they end up uh, tying the game, and uh, they won that game in extra innings, and uh, that sent Philly to to the World Series. Because back then, 
you know, you only had the one playoff. It it was the best out of five, and uh, and when uh, it went to the World Series, and of course Philly uh, went on to the uh, World Series to beat Kansas City, and uh, and but that was probably the toughest part of my career as a player, having to deal with that, the loss of it, having a part of you know uh, uh, being involved in the loss, and uh, you know that that tell you what that's that's not easy for a young kid, and. Uh, and plus, it was just so intense. Uh, and, and you're right; people still talk about it. They still play it a lot. And if you go back and look at it, you'll see how intense that was. And I still remember um, your dad got a huge hit against us. Uh, uh, you know, we should have walked him. And Bill Burden, he had this philosophy. And your dad was hitting eight uh, in that good lineup, and uh, he just said, "You know, we're not going to walk the eight hole hitter. He's hitting eight for a reason." Well, the Phillies had a strong lineup, and your dad was a pretty good hitter. He got a big hit to hurt us in that uh, knocking a couple runs uh, uh, to beat us, I think, in the second game. And uh, so, anyway, uh, it's funny how, how that was back in 1980, how you still remember those games. Well, and especially for me, because, you know, as a kid, I'm a baseball rat, and I was then, and that's all I did is I watched Phillies games every day, you know, watch my buddies play. And I just remember it, it was every night you're on the edge of your seat. And now, uh, obviously, we're going back 40 years. You know, I'm 10 years old. Uh, but I remember it vividly. Aaron still plays, uh, my brother, plays the games <laughs> and just remembers and listens to Harry Callis call the call the game. I mean, uh that was a pretty cool, pretty cool time in our life, and and uh, I remember vividly. So you go to '85. Now you're a part of another huge night uh, when Pete breaks the hit record off a of shower. There's boats catching. Yeah, you know I was uh, in a platoon situation with Terry Kennedy. Uh, uh, in that yeah, year. but this time you're on the Padres, right? This time you're on the Padres. Yeah. I, I'm with San Diego, and uh, but uh, even though we were facing righty, Terry, uh, I was playing because uh, Kennedy's uh, back went out on him, and I was excited about it, though, to be honest. I'm not that he was hurt, but I, I get a chance to play and uh, be part of history if uh, Pete gets a hit record. And so we go in Cincinnati, and uh, I, I've never seen anything like this. You know, I, I, uh, it, it was just. I mean, it was like a World Series, Mardi Gras, all those things uh, uh, that you can describe the, the time in Cincinnati uh, when Pete was, was uh, trying to break this record. And, you know, the first game, Lamar Hoyt uh, was pitching, and uh, I think Pete went 0 for 4, and all we did was pound the men. You know, his bat had slowed down, and, and that was the book, just work them in, work them in. And uh, so uh, I didn't know if I was going to be catching the second game, and uh, but Kennedy was still hurt, so – now Eric Shaw's pitching, and uh, we get the second game, and uh, and sure enough, Pete comes up, and uh, you know the catcher wasn't real smart, and uh, he called a slider that was probably in Pete's bat speed, and he got a nice little flare to left field to Carmelo Martinez, and uh, and uh, broke the record, and you know it was just things went bonkers then. I mean, lights flashing, cameras, uh, every pitch. It was hard to catch because every pitch. You know, you had a uh, forty thousand cameras going off, fifty thousand, whatever. And uh, uh, but when he got to hit, uh, you know, it was a pretty cool moment. And uh, and I was I was proud to be part of that. And uh, 
you know, I got, yeah, I still got pictures of that uh, time there in Cincinnati and, and uh, it was a huge celebration, uh, but a really cool moment. And, and the last little uh, memory I'm going to give to you, and I, and I just found this out today. One man in the history of the big leagues ever has a, there's only been one walk-off home run being given up by Nolan Ryan, Bruce Bochy. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah. My bad. <laughs> only one ever. That's something pretty yeah, cool to hang yeah. on to, though. Yeah, I got right. him uh, actually. It, it was in uh, yeah the bottom of the ninth in San Diego, and uh, he probably slowed down about ninety six, ninety seven at that time. And uh, um, yeah, I ended up hitting a walk off and. Uh, uh, you know, it's probably biggest hit during the regular season ever. It was in my, in my career, you know, because being a uh, a role player, and I still remember going into clubhouse and they had a they had a, a red carpet going to my locker with my helmet with six beers in my helmet and ice on it that Greg Nettles <laughs> and Tim Flannery had, had set up for me. Uh, so yeah, that that was a a, a real special moment. I probably. I guess it's okay if I say this. Uh, I'll tell you a little story behind that. Uh, my dad, who loved to go to Vegas, uh, he liked to play little parlays. Uh, you know, he's an enlisted man. He, he couldn't play a lot. But that was the last game of the night. And he had a 14 parlay. And he, he took, you know, he always took the Padres because I was on, on the team. And uh, and uh, and at the end, it showed uh, a Bochy walk-off home run that the Padres won. So, on top of his son hitting a home run, he won a pretty nice parlay. So he really had a Oh, that, that made it hit the four team. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, what'd, that's, what'd you get what'd you get out of it? How much? Yeah. You give he floats. I, I don't know. You know, I I, I you know, I, I don't remember that, but uh <laughs> it was a pretty good payoff. I know that. And for him it, it was a lot and and uh you know he it's I don't know what he played, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty dollars, whatever. He might have played more. I don't know. But you know, those army guys, they love to play their poker cards and uh and do a little gambling. So when he retired, that was his uh his thing was uh he take a little trip out to Vegas uh two, three times a year. All right, so we're gonna fast forward uh to your post playing career. So you go, you come back to San Diego, you coach in 93 and 94. I think it's under Riggleman. And uh, 95, you're named Padres manager. And at the time, uh, you're the youngest manager in the big leagues. And uh, just tell me about that, that Padres run. I know you got a chance to go to your first World Series in 98. Tell me a little bit about the Padre years. Yeah. Um, 90, uh, in 93, Jim Riggerman, uh, I was managing double A and they asked me if I wanted to manage, uh, Las Vegas, the triple A team or be the third base coach, uh, for Riggs. And, uh, you know, that was no brainer for me. My family lived in San Diego. I had two boys and, and so, uh, um, that wasn't really a tough decision. So I, I, I coach uh, third base, uh, in 93, 94 to strike year. And then 95, uh, Jim Riggerman, uh, Ed Lynch went to Chicago, who was our farm director, became the general manager. And he and, uh, and Riggs were close. So he took Riggs with him to Chicago, which opened up, 
the manager's position at San Diego and the young general manager named Randy Smith took a chance on the young manager, uh, who was me and made me manager in 95. And, uh, I, I was just, you know, that's, that was like getting called up to the big leagues. Uh, but even I got to add to that because I had managed the big leagues on such a high pedestal. I, I didn't know if I would ever do it. And, uh, but Randy took a chance on me. I'm forever grateful. And uh, uh, unfortunately, though, my first year was uh, my first players I managed were <laughs> replacement players, if you remember, in 95. So now I'm wow. really uncomfortable. My, my first year, I'm managing replacement players. So I'm thinking, well, when that's done, you know, am I going to lose credibility with my regular players because I was doing this? So. I asked Randy if I could take a back seat to that, and uh, and uh, I'm grateful that he he let me do that. And uh, so I really didn't have a, a big role in that as much as uh, you know, just kind of observing. I, and and so when that was over, then the regular players came in, who I knew because I I coached them, coached their base for two years, and of course Tony Gwynn I played with, and uh, I'll never uh, I never can thank him enough for for helping me out that first year. Um, if you remember, I mean, you, you were at old uh, Jack Murphy, Qualcomm, his locker was, was right beside the manager's office. So I relied on him a lot that first year, and he uh, he helped establish uh, um, you know myself as a manager and, and helped build relationships, just telling players, hey, you know, Boach knows what he's doing. And uh, so he was very helpful in my, my early years there in San Diego. And then uh, – 96, uh, um, oh, well, I'll, I'll try to fast forward here, but 95, I had a two year contract. I mean, a one year with the one year option. And we, we contended, uh, until September 95 and 96. I didn't know if Larry Latino and John Morris were going to bring me back because Randy Smith went to, to Detroit. So I thought, well, I'm, they're going to let me go, but, uh, they took up my option. And uh, I still remember it's for 175,000, which I thought would I wouldn't have to work another day in my life with all that money. And uh, so they brought me back in '96, and uh, we ended up winning our division. We were down uh, three games to the Dodgers with three to go. We swept them. Uh, we tied, but because of uh, our record against them, we ended up winning our division. Went to the playoffs. Uh, we got beat by the Cardinals that year, and then '98 was a uh, the year we went to the World Series, you know, that's when we picked up Kevin Brown, and then one starter we picked up Greg Vaughn, you know, to go with Joyner and Caminetti and and Gwen and Finley, uh, Gomez was at short, uh, uh, we had Hitchcock on the mound, Ashby. Uh, I, I don't want to leave any, anybody else. And um, uh, Ricky Henderson, we just had a really good club and uh, had a heck of a playoffs. Uh, uh, we had to go to Houston, who just picked up uh, Randy Johnson. Uh, Kevin Brown beat him in the first game there, and uh, we took two out of three against Houston. Then we had to beat the Braves, and uh, we beat them to uh, play New York in the World Series. And Unfortunately, we got swept. I still think we could have hung on and won that first game. We had a pretty good lead that uh, we could have made it a, a pretty good World Series. But uh, that's the year that they – they won a million games. Uh, they they were so good and uh, ended up sweeping us. So, but that was my highlight uh, in San Diego going going to the World Series in '98, and we went back to the playoffs in '05, '06, 
Now, I don't want to skip uh, 2000 after the 99 season. Kevin uh, Towers, who was our general manager, made a big trade and he picked up uh, uh, 29 or 30 year old uh, Brett Boone and uh, Plesco. And uh, and uh, so that's how you know we got to know each other. Was a, That's the year that you played for me. And Booney, yeah. now, I'll never forget yeah. this. Uh, now, you used to get on towers because you, you were going to be a free agent. You go, you better sign me. I'm only getting better. You better sign me. You would always need them, you know. And uh, San Diego had, you know, uh, oh. such tight purse strings back then. You know, he, you know, he said, well, I can't afford them. I can't afford them. And uh, you had a pretty nice year for us. You had 19 or 20 homers and uh, did a great job. And uh, you ended up going back to Seattle, of course, in 01 when you had that monster year. And Kevin, all year going, ah, why didn't I sign him? Why didn't I sign him? So, uh, <laughs> well, I remember that's the year. Remember, I hurt my knee down the stretch in late 2000. Yeah. We ended up, I ended up sitting out the last six weeks. And I, yeah, I remember talking yeah. to Kevin and going, I'll do whatever I got to do to get on that field to get my 100 ribbies and 25 homers. Like, no, no, don't worry about it. And then we, I end up being a free agent. And now other clubs, because they saw me sit out with my knee, were kind of hesitant. But in the end, it ended up being the best move of certainly of my career. And, uh, you know, it just it, it just finished the way it was supposed to. I went on to Seattle. And like you said, I had some of my best years in Seattle. So I guess it was meant to be. But at the time, I was kind of looking at Kevin going, you, you're leaving me flailing out here, man. And I gave him I gave him hell for, for years after that. And, and in the oh, end, I know. Like I said, it, it was. It ended up being the best move uh, for me and my family. But uh, yeah, it was some trying times. It was some nerve wracking times there. You, you, the guys, you know, and I played against you. I played against you for years for you. Uh, and, and you mentioned that '98 team. That was a really good team with Finley and and Cammy and, and the two, the two constants though in San Diego always have been probably still to this day are, are Tony. And and Trevor, and uh, just wrap Tony Gwynn up in a sentence or two. You know, we lost him a few years ago. You know, pretty tragically. Uh, but sum him up what he meant to the city and and Hoffy. I think it's kind of the same breath. Hoffy from the pitching side and 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 Tony from the the offensive side. Both played the majority of their career. Tony played his entire career in San Diego, but Hoffy the majority of his career. What do they mean to the city and and as men to you? Well, uh, you're right. I mean, very similar uh, when, when you look at these two players and what, what they meant to the city and, and to the uh, organization. Uh, I mean, Tony, uh, I mean, this, he was uh, San Diego's favorite uh, son player. Uh, uh, I mean, they just loved him. Uh, uh, and not just with his talent. I mean, yeah, I mean, the guy, uh, I was fortunate, you know, fortunate to watch his man. Uh, he was an artist, as you know, at the plate and uh, watch him do his thing for years. But in his younger years, I mean, he was unbelievable uh, running the bases, uh, 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 playing outfield, uh, and then he won gold gloves. Uh, in 84, when we went to the World Series, uh, it was, you know, because Tony Gwynn was hitting in the two hole and, and uh, Alan Wiggins was leading off, and uh, those two led the way. And, uh, and, um, you know, Tony, he just made himself available to the fans. He, he was just, 
such a humble guy. And and when I mention this, uh, Trevor is the same way. And these guys uh, uh, really uh, respected the fans, and, and and they knew how important they were to the game. They they knew that was part of uh, uh, their job was you know be ambassadors to the game, and and nobody was better uh, than Tony. Uh, he he would talk to anybody. I mean, I, I still remember going to Atlanta, and I had some cousins come down, and I'd always tell them, "Don't bug Tony." And I'd have to go up and do the lineup or something, come back, and they'd be around Tony. I'm going, oh, geez. But Tony, hey, no, they're good. And he'd be sitting there laughing, talking to them. And that's just who he was. He That's that's what he loved to do is, is sit and meet with people, talk with them. And, uh, and Trevor, it's the same way. And Trevor, uh, he's doing it now for the Padres. And, uh, um, and that's why the band's so revered. And, and then after that, he goes, you know, to San Diego State, um, you know, they have the stadium there named after him, but he was so loyal. He didn't want to leave the city. He could have made more money, but he, he was just determined to finish his career with San Diego. And I know his dad, because um, Tony had told me this, his dad kept wanting him, you got to go somewhere else. You got to get, you know, what, what you should be paid. He goes, I'm happy. And that's who Tony was. Yeah. And, and I got to play with him that, that one year in 2000. And, and at that point, and, and you remember, it's his knees were such a problem, but he was so loyal to the Padres, you know, because I remember having talks with him saying, Tony, and, and I'm, I'm telling him, Tony, you can hit standing on your head. Problem is, who's going to run for you? You know, and the only option that made sense at the time for me was go to the American League and be a designated hitter. And And like you said, he was so he was so kind of in he was just kind of in the fabric of san diego and the padres that he, he was just too loyal and he didn't want to leave he ended up retire I, I think he ended up retiring other than than playing it out as a dh in the american league yeah you so, know I, I told him the same thing and you know what booney he, he had a thing about a dh he hated dh and it was a perfect time for me to rest his legs you know when we would play interleague whatever and uh he didn't didn't want to do it. He'd do it, then he wouldn't get a hit. They'd be mad at me for making him DH, and uh, it just something he just didn't didn't uh, like. Uh, I don't know if he felt like well, they're not you know really complete ball players, or I don't know what it was, but he had something against it. But you're right. If he would have went to the American League in DH, uh, he he's over four thousand hits easy. Yep. So, 06, uh, Padres give you the okay to talk to Brian Savian. And uh, you end up signing with the Giants. Now, I don't know how much of a real rival the Giants and the Padres are. You know, it seems like the Padres, we got a bunch of rivals with the Padres. It's the Dodgers sometimes. And, and when I was in Seattle, they, Seattle was trying to make the rivalry the Mariners and the Padres. But anyway, it, right. you've, been, you've, you've been with the Padres for a long time. And in 07, you end up signing with the San Francisco Giants and uh, headed up the coast. Now, now, being in San Diego, not only as a player, but managing for so long there, was that a, was that a strange thing for you? Uh, and I know you brought uh, a lot of your staff up there with you, uh, coaching staff. I know you brought Flan up there with you. Uh, what was that transition like for you? No, it's a great question, Booney. Um, you know what? I and I'd spent a lot of time uh, you know, thinking about what I should do. I had one year left on my deal in San Diego. I'd met with 
Kevin Towers and Sandy Alderson uh, at the Del Mar Country Club here in San Diego. And uh, and I left that meeting. I, I knew it was time. It was just time. Sometimes you just, you know, you're, you feel it. Your gut tells you it's time for a change. Uh, time for you know, a change for them and a change for me. My wife, she really felt it too that, um, you know, it was time for me to move on if there was uh, – you know, that chance, uh, you know, that where I would be happy. And, uh, I, I talked to three clubs and, uh, and, but I really spent a lot of time with Brian Sabian talking to him and, and he convinced me, uh, you know, that this would be a great fit for me. And what I, I always admired about San Francisco was, uh, they were always trying to win. They were, you know, at the deadline, they were picking up players, uh, uh, they, they were always all in and, uh, and I knew that, uh, you know, we were probably a year away from going back through that rebuild and I've been through two or three in San Diego. And it wasn't about not being loyal, uh, as much as, you know, I just felt for both parties, it was time for a change. And I was in a great situation because I had one year left of my deal, but, you know, I, I don't, I, I didn't want to, uh, uh, make them uncomfortable and I didn't want to be, uh, uh, you know, not entirely happy, uh, uh, you know, by staying. So, um, I ended up going to San Francisco and ended up being a, a great decision for me. The change was good for me. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, uh, a great time for my family. Uh, uh, you know, the experience of San Francisco, I always loved the city when I went up there and, uh, uh the restaurants, uh, Napa. Uh, you know, all the surrounding area, you know, surrounding areas that have such nice places there. I, I just loved it up there. And, uh, so it really worked out well. I lived across the street from the ballpark and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the best move, uh, probably made in my career was, uh, when I decided to go ahead and uh, make a change. And in 2010, 2012, 2014, you win the World Series, and and all of a sudden, Sam, the, the the Giants are now a dynasty. Uh, and the question I have is, what did you learn? Because I've heard this story floating around before, and I just want to see how much truth there is to it. What did you learn about losing to the Yankees in that 98 World Series, your first World Series, and then the next three you went to, you won all three. What did you learn for that 98 series that you took into those, those future World Series? Yeah. Um, you know, probably more than anything is, uh, you know, you, you, you can't do things in the, in the postseason exactly like you do during the season. It, it, you just it, – it's different. It really is. Uh, there's no margin of error. You can't uh, – it's hard to you know make up for a lost game, uh, um, and so you have all hands on deck. You you don't always have that during the season, but uh, you know in the postseason uh, that's the way it has to be. And uh, and there's a decision in one game, and it was nothing against uh, the pitcher because he did a great job for us. But I had a little better matchup. Uh, I thought with uh, Joey Hamilton, who was a power sinker. Um, now block was at the plate, uh, two men on and, uh, and Donnie wall had been our setup guy. And, uh, I just said, you know, I don't think this is a great fit for Donnie. Now, again, wasn't nothing to do with Donnie, but 
anyway, I ended up going with uh, Donnie because that's how we would, you know, that's how we did things. And, uh, and uh, Joey, who had been a starter for us, just had great stuff. And for you bring him in for an inning, he's going to throw 98-99, and that's going to be a boring sinker. And uh, that's a tough at bat against anybody. And uh, where Donnie was a little bit more of a, you know, control specialist. And uh, so anyway, um, you know, that's when, you know, I, I just told myself, uh, you know, you got to go with your gut. You know, don't. Don't, don't worry about getting second guess. Don't worry about if it doesn't work out. But, you know, and what I mean by gut doesn't mean that you're not preparing. You're not using analytics. You're not using that stuff. But still, it's just like hitting or pitching. You have to adjust on the fly in our game. And, you know, if you're hitting a pitcher, you know, he's a fastball pitcher, and you're facing him and he keeps throwing your sliders, well, eventually you got to look for it. Well, in managing, you know, I have to adjust too. And I didn't think I did that time. So, you know, next time, I said, if I ever get a, another chance, and, uh, you know, I, I, I can't worry about how we did things or hurting feelings. Uh, I'm all in on every move to, you know, try to win that uh, playoff game. And that run, I remember watching those, those uh, all three of those series. And I, and I don't know if it was the four, the 12 or the 14. I just remember, and still to this day, when people ask, you know, when they ask you occasionally, hey, what's the, what's the most unbelievable thing you've seen in, in, in sports, especially baseball? Well, the most amazing thing I, I'd ever seen to that point was, uh, was when, the, when the Red Sox were down three games to the Yankees and they came back and they won, won four straight. That was the most, um, and I think that was in 04. That was one of the most unbelievable baseball things I'd ever seen. <laughs> Football recently, the Atlanta Falcons were up 27 on the Patriots, and they came back and like things that just don't happen. The third thing is Madison Bumgarner, and I forget if it was 12 or 14, it was the most dominating pitching performance in a series. I've ever seen it. Am I wrong on that? It, it was unbelievable. And I think you brought him in then on one day's rest or no day's rest. And, and I thought, what's he going to get a hitter out? And he ends up pitching four and finishes the game. Uh, talk about that and, and tell me if I'm, uh, if I'm, if I'm saying too much or, or I'm, I'm over the target. No, 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 no. You're, uh, you're right on. That was in 2014. Uh, it, it is uh, the most dominating, uh, uh, performance in the postseason ever, and I will argue. Uh, this isn't being biased, but you got to look at the number of games that he had to pitch. Uh, you know, I know uh, they talk about Mickey Lolich. You know, when he beat the Cardinals, uh, yeah, that was in the World Series. But Madison, we had to go in and uh, and and uh, win the uh, wild card. So. Uh, we go and he pitches against the uh, Pirates. He, he beats him and uh, shuts him out. Uh, uh, his ERA, it was under one. Um, the only game he threw a ball away in uh, the sixth or seventh inning uh, against the Nationals. But uh, he dominated every game he pitched. Uh, uh, now, I'm going to go through this. Try to follow me. Uh, we had a we ended up going seven games with the Royals. Uh, and so he gets us off. He you know, he, 
does his thing in the first game. I mean, he just – they can't touch him. He's shutting them out. And he shuts them out. And uh, um, in game five, he throws 118 pitches and he shuts them out. Now, I was getting crushed a little bit in San Francisco because they wanted him to pitch, pitch game four. But we were down two to one in the series to the Royals. And they had their fifth starter going. I wanted to throw Vogelsong against their fifth starter because I wanted to go in Kansas City. I said, the only way I think our best shot at winning this is to go up 3-2 in Kansas City. So I'd switch and put uh, Vogelsong game four, which we ended up winning. And then game five, I had Baumgartner against their ace, Shields. And um, he shut them out, and uh, we won game five. So now we go in Kansas City. Uh, up three to two, but just just to preface this, after game five, he just threw 118 pitches. Now we got a day off the next day, but he comes in my office instead of celebrating. You know, he pitched a great game. He says, "Hey, I just want you to know, if you want to win this thing, you're going to pitch me the next game." I said, "Bob, I'm not pitching you game six. And Petey was starting." He goes, "Well, I'm just telling you," and uh, he says, "Well." You don't pitch me game six. I mean, seven. How about game seven? I said, I'll have you available. But he and Tim Hudson were close friends. I said, Huddy starting game seven. He goes, oh, okay, that's good. But I'll be ready to pick up Huddy. So on two days rest, we lost game six. It's three to three. And then game seven, uh, I brought him in. He started the fifth inning and finished the game. And uh, most incredible uh, – uh, performance I've ever been a part of. I, I get chills thinking about what, what this man did to uh, carry us uh, through that postseason. I mean, his picture should have been on the World Series ring. I mean, this man did it all. Yeah, because I, I remember Boach watching that series. Uh, I've never met Madison Bumgarner in my life, but I was watching it to see how you were doing, actually. And that performance still, it, it mesmerized me. And to this day, I walk around. I said, it's not even close. You know, they talk a lot about uh, that 2001, Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. And what an unbelievable job they did to carry that Arizona ball club. But right. it's not what Madison Bumgarner did. It, it was unbelievable. Um, right. And it was, man, it was it was something to watch. <laughs> and I think of the guys you, you, you managed over there. And the constant was Posey behind the plate. It, it helps when you got a stud behind the dish. But you had the Hunter Pences. And uh, for a while, did you have Fear the Beard, Brian Wilson, on the, as your closer? Yeah. You know what? It, <laughs> it, you look at, you, I mean, you look at the three teams, you know, I'd like to – like the Yankees, when they won all their years, they pretty much had the same player, same closer. We had a different closer in all three of those years. Uh, we had the, the uh, Fear of the Beard, Wilson. He was my closer in 2010. Then we had uh, Casilla, or I mean Romo, and then uh, Casilla. Uh, you know, they were my closers. But, you know, it it was it was really Buster leading away uh, Posey. Uh, uh, the job he did behind the plate and, and what he did. He was on all three teams. Uh, you know, we brought him up in 2010 in June, uh, to really, uh, or May, I'm sorry, uh, to take over, uh, from Benji, uh, Molina. And, and he took over the staff and really incredible his first year, the job that, 
that uh, he did with the pitching stuff. Forget the hitting. I mean, the guy could flat out hit, but, uh, uh, but you know, those three rings doesn't happen without him. He was, uh, you know, the guy that stabilized everything. And, uh, and then every year we had somebody else uh, that would really played a huge part. In 2010, for example, uh, we, we uh, picked up Burl, who got released uh, by Tampa, and uh, Cody Ross, and uh, you know those guys became available, and they end up being uh, uh, key players in that on that team. 2012, we got uh, uh, Scudero uh, from the Rockies. He hit like 360, uh, and then of course 14. Uh, uh, you know, Bumgarten led the way, but and, you know we we weren't a team that hit a lot. We we relied. Uh, you know, on our starting pitching. We, I mean, we had a really good bullpen with Affeld and Lopez, uh, uh, Romo, and uh, uh, those guys. But, uh, I mean, you look at our rotation. We had Lincecum. We had uh, uh, Matt Cain, uh, uh, Bumgardner, uh, Vogelsong. Uh, um, I mean, they all end up playing a, a huge part. I'm, 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 and I'm leaving somebody out. I'm, I'm trying to think who I just left out. But, uh Oh, Zito was there for a while. And uh, uh, so uh, it was our starting pitching that uh, was the reason we won. And really, if you look at all three years, they were all different. I mean, 14 with Bumgarner leading the way. Uh, but in 12, you know, we were down 2 two nothing to the Reds in the first round. We had to go in Cincinnati and win three straight. And then we were down 3-1 to the Cardinals in the, in the NLCS. And we had to win three straight from them just to get to uh, the World Series to play Detroit in 12. So they were all special in their own way. Well, Boach, this has been awesome. Uh, you know, as we talked about, I got to play for you in 2000. Uh, love you. It was a great time. We didn't we didn't win that many games that year, but uh, that's when we hooked up. And and for all these years, and, all, and you managed for so long, and you're one of – uh, very uh, on a very short list to win 2000 games. Um, I got a question for you with all the egos through all the years that you've managed, how did you manage to have a hundred percent of the guys love you? Cause to this day, I I'll be damned. I can't walk anywhere in life. I've never heard one thing negative word about Bruce Bochy. So <laughs> how'd you do it over all those years? It's, it's virtually impossible. There's very few walking around that can say that, but you're one of them. Uh, how did you manage all well, those egos? Well, I mean, I, I appreciate that, but believe me. Well, you got that teddy bear you about you. You walk in the room, it's, it, it's Boch, you know, that's, yeah. that's all it's said. Well, no, I, I, I appreciate it, but I, tell, I, trust me, you, there's some out there that, uh, didn't agree with uh, you know my decisions or whatever, and uh, but you know what, Bernie? If anything, I tried to be honest. You know, just upfront, honest, and uh, I think that's the only way you can be. Because you know, when once you start trying to pull one over on them, the players know. They, they, they I mean, they they can see BS. <laughs> so I tried to just be upfront, and um, uh, I, I think that's. Uh, um, you know, the best way to go about it, uh, you know, there are times when I was in a tough situation, uh, with, you know, a veteran player and a young player and, you know, ownership, uh, GM wants to play a young player and, 
you know, but I had to take it and I had to protect that part of it too. So it, it's, it's not that easy, uh, to do sometimes, but if you're honest, I think it's, it's the easiest way. Now the game's changed a little bit now, as you know, Booney, <clears throat> we're the manager now. He, there's, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, most of the say is coming from, uh, you know, through analytics, uh, uh, front office, uh, uh, lineups and things like that. A lot of say it's coming from that and which is fine, but, uh, uh, the players understand that too. So it's a little bit easier in the manager. My point being is they see their names not in the lineup. They're not going, uh, Bochy, that's some a gun. They realize it's probably the computer got them and, uh, and so they're, you know, the manager doesn't have to wear or have to uh, diffuse it so much. But what he has, has to do now is he has to, you know, sell it to the players and say, hey, you know, we, this is the organization. We think this is the best way to go about it. Instead of, well, you got my to decision. a certain, yeah, to a certain point, you got to kind of be a politician. Right. You miss it? Exactly. You miss it? I, LaRusso, uh, we, we had LaRusso you know on the I, podcast. I He's it. back. You coming back? Yeah. Would you ever come back? You're always going to miss it. Yeah. yeah I, I'll say this. If it was, you know, something that really made sense for both sides, I, I pro- probably would. I needed a break, though. I needed to step back, uh, and I'm glad I did, and my timing was good because – I really and I admire baseball. What I think they did a good job getting games in, and but you know, dealing with the COVID and uh, and not having the uh, camaraderie that you could normally have because you had to keep the distance and everything. I picked a good year to hit the pause button, so I I was good with it last year and watching games on TV. All right, well, Boach. I can't thank you enough. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed having you. And what we do here on the Boone Podcast is uh, we have a question from the fans. And to ask that question is the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy. Dan, where are you? Hi, Boach. Thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you? All right. We got one question. This is from CJ in Vegas. Do you really have a size eight and eighth ball cap? Oh, yes, he does. You didn't ask that, did you, Dan? <laughs> that's what they want to know. The fans want to know that. No, no, he, no I can it. vouch. That's, that's it. That's, uh, it's an eight and an eight, and uh, it's causing problems. I, I'm not going to lie. When I was a player, you know, they didn't make hats and helmets that size, so they had a special order them. And, you know, I played five years of winter baseball, and I always had to take my helmet down there with me. And they, they, you know, have to paint it and everything and bring it back. Well, um, I struck out one time and I got mad and I threw my helmet, you know, down on the ground and I broke it. I wanted to cry because I knew I had the only helmet I had. So it took, a, it took about six weeks to get another one. So that was the last time you ever saw me fling the helmet. Well, that is good to know. And thank you, CJ, for filing in that question. That was a good story to, ha- to have it hammered down into. Mr. Bruce Bochi, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really enjoyed you. Well, I enjoy talking with you. I'm Booney. Good to see you. I, again, appreciate all you did for me in 2000. I appreciated your uh, your talent, your gifts, and your sense of humor. And you know what? We had a pretty good team. Real quick, I'll let y'all go. Uh, Nevin had a big year. We had Clesco, you. I mean, we had all the SoCal boys, and uh, we just didn't have too much pitching. But, we, you know, I, I thought we had the offense to get there. 
Yeah, it was a fun team, too. Well, you made it fun, too. We had yeah. Tony. Tony was there. Hoffy coming out of the pen. But like you said, we were a little short when it came to starting pitching that year. Right. And all our shortstops kept. I had a new partner every other day. All our, That's the year Gomi yeah. went down, and, and we had a revolving door for that shortstop position. Yeah, we brought our number one pickup. You probably don't even remember him, a guy named Nicholson. But uh, you, you used to bust uh, Kevin Towers. This is our number one pick. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving away all my secrets. <laughs> I want to hear more of those. Yeah, nice kid, though. And, uh, yeah. But anyway, good to visit, man. Y'all, hey, hey, let's all have a good year this year. Y'all be well, be safe, and, uh, and uh, hope, hope to see you down the road. Thanks, Bruce. You're here. Thank you so much. Okay, guys. Mailbag. You know that sound, Brett? It is time to dip into the Brett Boone mailbag. You ready to roll? Yep. All right, let's roll. Let's Ooh, do it. Mike from Tucson wants to know, Brett, what stadium is the hardest to hit in? For me, obviously, it's for me. Uh, well, yeah, the hardest one I ever hit was uh, well, my backyard. I, I, you know, the big leagues is the big leagues, and, and it's never going to be one stadium's the worst. Uh, it's all it's very uniquely appointed to each player because I, I went to some real hitter friendly ballparks, and I couldn't get a hit. I mean, Baltimore was the worst for me. I don't, I couldn't get a hit. I didn't see the ball well, so it, it's really unique. Uh, uh, it, it's very unique to the player, shall I say? It's not. Oh, that park's a nightmare to hit it. No, it's it's wherever where, wherever you don't do well. And, and Baltimore, for me, especially through some years where they were real thin, uh, didn't have a great team, didn't have a starting uh, great starting pitching. But I'll tell you, I I couldn't get hits there. I couldn't stand it. Another place I it was a good place to to hit, and I didn't like was St. Louis. For some reason, I'd go to St. Louis. Zero for three. I'd be lucky to go one for four. So those are my two that I didn't like it. Flip side, which was the best? Which one were you like licking your chops at? Uh, favorite by far Anaheim Stadium. Uh, I, I like Safeco Field uh, in Seattle. Uh, it was it was a pitcher's ballpark, but but I had some of my best years there. I love going to Yankee Stadium. Uh, hit well there, but it it was more the atmosphere. You know, old Yankee Stadium, when you, when you went out on that line before the game, you're getting ready for the game. There's something about it. You knew where you were. And I, I really enjoyed hitting there. So, uh, But Anaheim, if I had to pick one stadium, one series, Anaheim Stadium for me. I heard Wrigley was, for the most part, a pretty easy one for uh, hitters. No, it, it, Wrigley's all the wind. Uh, it's either blown in or it's blown out. And if it's blown in for the series, it's a nightmare to hit in. If it's blown out uh, – just pop it up and it'll go out. So <laughs> it, it, it's it's all the wind. Gotcha. All right, let's move on, shall we? All right, this is from Jerry in St. Pete. Brett, the worst clubhouse in baseball. Uh, old Cleveland. Mistake by the lake. The worst. Worst <laughs> service. Could never find the clubhouse guy. Yeah, that's the worst. Uh, you know, some of the, some of the, some of the stadiums were, uh, a challenge because of size, you know, Wrigley was a challenge Fenway park just cause they lacked, uh, space. 
just because they're old stadiums, they're iconic stadiums. Uh, so there's really not that not too much play. You know, there's there's not much room for for 25 players, let alone the coaches, manager, and traveling staff. So uh, the new stadiums always have the advantage with the accommodations, the big spaces, the full kitchens. Uh, but the older stadiums are really a challenge uh, for those clubhouse guys of, of putting on a good show for you because because they just didn't have the the uh, accoutrements that the that the modern day ballparks have. Let me ask you this one. Was there ever a city that you went into that you were actually more looking forward to spending time in there than actually playing the game? Like, you know, this 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 game I don't really want to play in, but I would really love to hit this restaurant. Uh, I love Chicago. Rana Japan's. <laughs> I like Chicago, but I liked uh you know, uh, I really loved going to New York. You know, I, I still to this day I I grew up in Jersey as a kid. You know, I've lived, but I, I'm kind of a Southern Cal guy now. <laughs> you know, so you're either an East Coast guy or a West Coast. I think I'm a West Coast guy, but I still love uh, just walking downtown in New York, visiting and just just people watching. And, and the restaurants are unbelievable. Uh, so Chicago and New York. Good answer. Good answer. That was from Dan in Chicago. All right. This one is from Darcy in Montreal. Brett. Do you guys ever find yourselves watching the Jumbotron during the game? Of course. <laughs> well, uh, we, we you're always watching it on a close play because you want to see it. Now, you know, back in the day, 10, 12 years ago, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't show a close play because they didn't want to show up the umpire. Nowadays, they'll show it because it's on instant replay anyway. Uh, but Jumbotron, yeah, you people watch during a pitching change. You know, some some of the the clubs got really uh, inventive in, in in things they'd put up on the jumbotron. I used to we go to Anaheim and uh, whatever what what was the seventh inning or something they oh they'd have the rally monkey come out and anytime the rally monkey came out that means that you were losing. Yeah, oh, no. the angels. The angels were winning, so it wasn't good. But man, I love when that rally monkey came out. I I could watch that all day, and I still laugh thinking about it right now. <laughs> One of my favorite things. Well, they said. Uh, did you guys ever do the uh, when the hats would have the ball in it? They would do the old uh, old Carmani trick and try to figure out which ball it was in. Oh, that that's been going for that's since I was a kid. I remember an old veteran stadium in the seventies as a kid sitting in the bleachers with my mom watching those games they've been doing those forever that's like 70s stuff nowadays they they, they got so many new things and technology so uh they said, that's kind of like that's kind of like space invaders for 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 us <laughs> these said, kids today wouldn't what do you mean the shell game there's too many more things they said Some the, of my uh, favorites how about the sausage the sausage race in, those in are Milwaukee's. fun oh that's tremendous those that's are fun tremendous. but they said jordan back in the bulls days would uh bet all the uh all the equipment guys, the uh, where the ball was, and he would actually have somebody from the actual entertainment side tell him which one it was going to be, and he would bet the uh, equipment guys a hundred bucks. That, that sounds like like Michael. <laughs> one of these days, pay, but- one of these days, we'll get a fan question asking about your best MJ story. But we'll leave that for another time. We want to thank Bruce Boji for coming on the Brett Boone podcast. Once again, we want to thank all those who have gone ahead and submitted questions to Brett Boone at at the Boone 29 on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Those are other spots where you can go ahead and mail in some questions. He'll answer them for you. We'll put them on the podcast. 
And we'll let you guys know. So for Brett Boone, the former Major League All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glover, my name is Dan Levy. You've been listening to the Brett Boone Podcast. We'll do it again next time. See you, everybody.